Let's foray into Nevada's wild spaces. This is a half an hour adventure with the Nevada Department of Wildlife. This is Nevada Wild. Here on this Nevada Wild brought to you by the Nevada Department of Wildlife. I'm Ashley Sanchez in the podcast room today with Aaron Keller. It's so nice to be in the podcast. It feels so good to be in the podcast room, even though it's half an office also, (laughs) (laughs) which we're going to have the person who's using this office on a future podcast. So keep an eye out for that. But right now, today we have Jess Wolf. Our former urban wildlife coordinator, now wildlife educator. Welcome back, Jess. It's good to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Super excited to be here. Yeah, and it's been a while. We haven't had you since you've been the wildlife educator, I don't think. Or maybe we have. No, I don't think so. I think the last one I did, I was in my urban wildlife position. Yeah. So it's, it's been, a, been a while. And then filling the big shoes of Jess in urban wildlife is Raquel Martinez, who's already hit the ground running taking all those urban wildlife calls from the public. Raquel, welcome. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you guys. I'm on week three and you already got me on a podcast. So you're really throwing me in the deep end here. I know, I know. I was like, we <laughs> like to do that. We like <laughs> yeah. to catch you like when you're new and you want to participate in everything. Ah, know, yes. so that's how we do it. Well, we appreciate <laughs> both of you coming in. We also thought on top of you both, Raquel, you're brand new. Jess, you've recently switched positions, but it's also the time of year when wildlife starts to get very active. So we thought it was a good time to bring both of you in. Yep. And we just saw Jess on another podcast and, and she, she did, did a great. great job. And so we were like, and oh, I'm like, we let's copy that podcast and bring <laughs> her in Nature's Archive. It was a good one. So check it out. Yeah. the uh, I actually got to meet him out at a conference for the National Association for Interpretation. That's how we made that connection. And it was super fun to do. So I definitely suggest uh, taking a listen to that one. Yeah, that was a, was a good one. Mm-hmm. So where do we even begin with you two? I guess, um, well, Raquel, tell us about yourself and how you ended up here at Endow. Yeah, yeah, so I just started with the department. I am, as they said, the Urban Wildlife Coordinator. And before coming here, I just spent the last five years in Yosemite National Park working on the wildlife and bear management team there. So I saw this listing and truthfully thought I was hallucinating because in wildlife you get such niche and particular skills. So I saw it and it was back in my home state of Nevada and thought it would be an amazing opportunity for me to come back home and do what I've been learning in urban wildlife, human wildlife conflict and bring it here. And in northern Nevada, we have Lauren down in southern Nevada, but in northern Nevada, one of our big hot button issues is bears. So what a perfect background to come into this position. Yeah, absolutely. So what did that consist of then, your previous position on the bear management? So we were called the bear management team, but we truthfully handled all human wildlife conflict calls within the entire boundary of Yosemite National Park. So that ranged from everything from uh, bat bites to bears breaking into houses and everything you could imagine in between. Um, We had visitors getting deered by gore, I'm sorry, getting gored by deers. Deered by gorge. Yes. wildlife disease such as rabies and the fox populations things like that so it was a real kind of uh, wide range of things we were covering on the day-to-day which is what 
this job is going to be. Yeah. A variety of different wildlife. Have you have you always wanted to do this like part of wildlife biology or? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So uh, even more background on myself. So I grew up here in Reno, Nevada. So I've always had this appreciation for just our natural landscape. And, you know, growing up here, you just always have a, host- a, a soft spot for it. And then I went to the University of Nevada and was actually um, students of a lot of the endow adjunct professors and got to meet a lot of the biologists at the time. And I remember, I'm going to put him on the spot here, but Carl Lackey actually came and did a talk at one of my classes. And him and Heather Reich came and they brought the bear dogs and were talking about bear management. And it was like that little spark went off. And I was like, that, that is what I want to do. So I spent the last five years of my life doing that, learned a lot, um, really fell in love with it, with every aspect of it. You know, we all get into this field because you want to go you know, do exciting things in exciting places, but I really fell in love with also the education side of it, just seeing how effective that can be and just talking to people. Um, So yeah, so I'm really excited just to bring that back here. What have you seen, or I mean, how? Could you give an example of just how? Because I think that's what we try to get out to people constantly, just trying to get them to understand how important it is that they take our information. Yeah. <laughs> so how have you seen that over the years being important? Well, there's so many different ways you could go about it. I mean, often, if I can just have a one-on-one conversation with people, I mean, nobody is out there really maliciously trying to affect wildlife in a negative way. They just, we really don't understand how our day-to-day activities, the impact it can have on wildlife, be it, you know, not securing your trash or your food and things like that. So just reaching out in any capacity that I can just talk to people in that sense has been a hundred times more beneficial than if I were out there trying to chase every bear away, trying to negatively condition every single bear, trying to capture every bear. If we can catch it preventatively, instead of having to react to everything reactively, it's a whole different game. And it's just better for the wildlife, it's better for everything. And you can apply that to any animal, coyotes, baby, wildlife, anything in between. That's what I've noticed. A lot of the tips we give, I sound like a broken record, but it's because it could be applied to all different wildlife. And at the same time, it's like people just sometimes they just, they don't think about it. They don't realize what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And nobody thinks it's going to happen to them until that's it happens. Where it is. That's mm-hmm. really what it is. Jess, I see you nodding. I know. That's uh, what I'm like. <laughs> so Jess has been filling both wildlife education and urban wildlife for a, a, little a little bit, bit now. <laughs> <laughs> so How does it feel to have somebody <laughs> uh, come behind you in your succession? Oh, I am so excited. She's already hit the ground running, and I see so many like positive changes that, well, experience that she has that I didn't have. So I'm really excited to see where that goes and to learn from Raquel and vice versa. I think it's going to be really awesome. Um, but one of the things we've already talked about is how this position and really all of our positions are not about managing wildlife it's about managing people Mm -hmm. um and having those tough conversations so uh it's definitely an interesting role uh with lots of fun stories and i'm very excited right it It has the title of urban wildlife coordinator but it is very wildlife education so the kind of your position now but a little bit different spin so you guys will be a team for sure yeah, mm-hmm. it's funny because we're the department that manages state wildlife, but that really is the interesting thing about the urban wildlife job is you're not managing wildlife, you're managing people. Yeah. yeah. Just so well <laughs> said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, Jess, we already got Raquel's background. I don't know if we've ever had you in to tell you or to tell us all about everything you've done um, and give us your background, which you did on Nature's Archive, or you talked about 
from where you're you talked about all the way back to your childhood where your passion began (laughs) want to fill us in yeah so um I've always loved wildlife growing up um but I didn't really know if I could get into the field so my background in college is actually psychology which worked really well for the urban wildlife position because again you're managing people not necessarily the wildlife um and I got into the department first by volunteering I was a volunteer uh, with the wildlife education team. And then I did a year AmeriCorps term with the department and then, uh, got my full-time position. Well, I did some botulism work in between all of that, but, uh, then I got my full-time position. And, uh, before all that, right out of college, I actually worked in solar energy. So kind of had a lot of different, uh, (laughs) environmental positions as well as retail and all those fun ones where you get to learn how to talk to people. And when did it, your passion for wildlife, or Kelly, you kind of explained seeing Carl and Heather <laughs> um, do a presentation, just when was your, like, when did you know exactly what you wanted to do? Or that whatever you wanted to do would be wildlife. I guess we don't, none of us know exactly what we want to do. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we're all still trying to figure it yeah, out at some exactly. point in time. Um, so when I grew up, I was super privileged to get to live right behind uh, a creek so I would spend summers catching crawdads which I now know are pretty invasive but you know it was really fun as a kid uh, Mm -hmm. to catch 100 crawdads in a single day uh, and seeing coyotes and birds and all sorts of things and then I was definitely an animal planet fanatic you know Jeff Korn experience crocodile hunter those were my jam as a kid Um, so I just grew up really loving wildlife, um, and always read books about them and all of that sort of thing. Uh, and then when I realized that, oh, I can make this a career, it's actually a possibility. Then I really got into wanting to work for Endow and growing my skills and trying to get down that path. Yeah. One of the, uh, the best things about wildlife education is you constantly get to learn about wildlife because you have to know all the trivia and the fun facts and the different things so that's what I really liked about the wildlife education side of it probably same with the urban yeah absolutely yeah I can just uh, pick up a book and be reading for fun and I'm like oh this applies to work this is amazing <laughs> right yeah you always get those stump those those questions from little kids and they're like oh what about this or that and then you have to learn it because you never know that they're going to ask you again so Absolutely. It's yep. it's always tricky because they'll ask me a question about a snake in the Philippines. And I'm like, I have no <laughs> idea. That is not in my Google brain, yeah, child. Right. <laughs> Nevada wildlife. That's, <laughs> yep. that's what I know about. Mm-hmm. Ask me about Great Basin rattlesnakes, <laughs> yeah. please. <laughs> I know. I've actually gone to you because we've had a call like from the media saying, Ashley, could you do an interview on rattlesnakes? And I've been like, Jess. Yeah. <laughs> She's the pro with that. Yep. Um, how fitting you mentioned coyotes and seeing coyotes as a child that you'd be the person answering calls from people for so many years um, of people who have coyotes in their yard. <laughs> yeah, it's super funny. I would always get the like, I've lived here all my life and I've never seen a coyote. <laughs> and it's like, well, they've been there. You just haven't seen them and that's okay. But they are there and they have been and they will continue to be. And here's how to live with them. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I, I remember when we were all at home during the pandemic and we were all working from home, how many more urban wildlife calls we were getting. And we were kind of attributing that to everybody was at home. And so they spent more time in their backyard and things like that. So, yeah, because I remember talking to I think it was you and even Heather and they were like, it's not necessarily more active than normal. We think people are just seeing them. They're more. at their house <laughs> yeah. yeah, instead of at work. Yeah. So. yeah. Spending a lot more time there too so looking out their own window 
which is good. And I'm glad that people got that opportunity, but it was definitely a little bit of teaching. Like it's, it's okay. They're there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Gave them a new appreciation for wildlife though. Um, One thing I want to get into is, but I think I want to wait till after the break. So this is what people will have to look forward to, but is the difference between wildlife education and what you're getting into Jess and then Raquel, what you're taking over with urban wildlife. So that's what we'll talk about right after this quick break. You're listening to Nevada wild. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, leave us a review on iTunes and SoundCloud. For more information on hunting, fishing, boating, and all things wildlife, go to endow.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Nevada Wild. Today, we're joined by Jess Wolf, our wildlife educator, former urban wildlife education coordinator. And now we have... Uh, oh my gosh, Raquel Martinez. <laughs> I almost blinked when I looked at you. <laughs> I was having a hard time get those words out. She is now our current urban wildlife coordinator, and I will not forget her name ever because I'm going to be calling you all the time to help with urban wildlife stuff. But um, before the break, I was saying, I was teasing that we're going to get into the difference between your two jobs. Um so Jess, I don't know if you want to speak to this first. So you were the urban wildlife coordinator, now wildlife educator. What does that mean to people who don't know? Yeah, so there's really a lot of overlap with both positions. Um, a lot of it is just outreach to the community, talking to people about wildlife, what they are, why they're here, about habitat, all of that good stuff. Um, where it kind of differentiates is with the wildlife education position, the one that I am transitioning into. It's uh, a lot more kid events. Um, we've got statewide programming for kids going into schools. Um, we also manage, help manage Oxbow Nature Study Area, so having field trips out there. Uh, we also help manage the uh, Verdi Nature Center up uh, in Verdi. It's connected to the library up there. Uh, so working on those two properties, um, and, and that sort of thing. Whereas urban wildlife, do you want me to get into it or do you want to, Raquel? I'd like to hear your take. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. So urban wildlife is more uh, c- communicating with community members um, about how to actually take steps to live with wildlife, uh, as well as kind of solving some of those urban issues that, <clears throat> excuse me, might arise. Got it. So like you said, there's a difference. You're more dealing with kids. Raquel, you're more dealing with people and just helping them to live with wildlife, but a lot of overlap and both are very important overall in educating the community. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, uh, these two positions work really closely together. Uh, The last person who had the wildlife education position was also the former urban wildlife person. She actually started the the program. She was the first one that we had up here. Um, So that just goes to show kind of how like they're really pretty similar. There's a lot of crossover. Um, it's just little subtle differences here and there, but uh, we, we re- always work really super closely together. I think that was actually one of the last urban wildlife specific podcasts we did. It was you and she was also a Jess mm-hmm. talking about, I think kind of similar to what we're doing this time. We were talking about all the calls you guys were getting. So. Yep, yep, absolutely. Yep. So yeah, anything you want to add to that? Cause you really wanted to touch on that. No, I just think they're very, very similar, but different. And uh, I think it's important to note that urban wildlife has a whole education component that um, 
that is very interesting and very, I mean, it takes a lot of time and effort to do. Um, speaking to the community, speaking to the public that doesn't know what wildlife might be in their neighborhood or um, just making them aware of what is there, um, giving them tips on how to live with wildlife if they moved into a, you know, if they're new to the area or new to the homeowners association or something like that. Um, there's a lot of wildlife in Nevada. Um, and when people move here, they're often surprised at how just how much wildlife lives in their neighborhood. So that's I was going to say working at Endow in general, but especially both of your positions where you're educating the community, um, you're constantly learning every single day. <laughs> right. It's not just the people moving here who are oh, we have it's the people who work here. So many learning. stories of like, hey, you know, I saw that, you know, I caught a glimpse of a mountain lion. Are those rare? And you're like, well. If anywhere there's deer, there's going to be mountain lions. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the reality of it. So mm -hmm. if you moved into a spot and you see a lot of deer, yeah, there's going to be predators there. So, but I mean, you could go on and on about that, those type of calls. And it's, it's awesome, but it's also an educational opportunity for the department. So that's Speaking why we have this calls, position. Yeah. That's what we were going to get into. Raquel, you mentioned in the first half of the show, you three weeks in already? Uh, yeah. Yep three weeks in and you're already hit the ground running taking calls what are some of the crazy calls you've had so far because this is when things really pick up this time of year yeah yeah so right now we're in the early summer so it is baby wildlife season so the eggs are hatching the fledglings are fledging we're getting calls from everything from deer fawns to uh, just baby birds and everything in between so we're getting a lot of calls about hawks. So a lot of people don't realize when hawks fledge, they look a lot like the adults. They're nearly the exact size, um, but they do pretty peculiar things to us, which is they hang out on the ground. So once they fledge, they'll head off on their own with the surveillance of mom and dad, but they'll just hang out on the ground because they're not capable of strong sustained flight yet. And to us, it looks like a sick, sad little injured hawk. So we're getting dozens upon dozens of calls of those. Um, so we're just educating a lot of people on what is a fledgling, what does it look like? An interesting thing with red-tailed hawks is their eyes, when they're still juveniles, stay yellow. And then once they reach maturity, it turns brown. So we're asking a lot of people that to try to determine that what is it. Yeah. Mm. I actually, I did a segment talking about this exact thing, but the reporter threw me off and said, how do you actually tell the difference between the two, between an adult hawk and a fledgling and I just said it's a fledgling like, <laughs> it is but I I was like crap I know there was a better answer no it's challenging they, yeah. they, you have to get close and you really have to examine them so I'm following up on a lot of these calls because also along with that they're just ending up in really peculiar places I just got one off the doorstep of a sorority yesterday one oh. was trying to get into the nugget casino for whatever reason a few days ago um, so it's pretty much just going in, checking out if they're injured, if they are fledgling, if they are just relocating them to somewhere that's better. And overall, to help well, to help you with your job and maybe help um, mm -hmm. alleviate some of the calls, um, is there any information? I mean, for the most part, the best thing you could do is leave the animal alone unless it's in an area, like you said, it was at the casino mm -hmm. or <laughs> busy sorority yeah. house. Yeah, absolutely. If it's in a place that's going to be a hazard um, to the animal or to the public, please give us a call. We can always reach in and help you out. Um, often, though, if it's fine, you know, if it um, appears to be able to stand and move around, we want to give it time. We don't want to intervene because... When we get involved, it's so much stress for the animal that it actually can make things a lot worse. Um, so we want to give them as much time to recover in the wild that we can 
because that's really going to be the best thing for them and the best chance of their survival. Okay. So, oh, Jess, were you going to say something? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I was just going to say, uh, keeping that in mind that there are going to be birds on the ground and it definitely isn't just hawks that'll sit on the ground for extended periods of time. Songbirds also will do that. Robins, morning doves, all those sorts of birds as well will be on the ground for a while. Uh, but knowing that that is the season for it, uh, one of the best things people can do, because we often get calls of like, oh, but there are cats in the area. Mm-hmm. So trying to keep all of your cats inside is really, really important um, because cats are very, very skilled hunters and they will hunt just about anything. Um, So keeping them inside is going to help to protect those wild birds that are on the ground as well as other wild animals that are are young and maybe not as savvy as an adult. Um, And that's really easy fix uh, for, for a lot of the calls that we get good information so overall if a bird's on the ground this time of year it's probably a fledgling but if you have any question call Raquel but first wait don't call her she's taking all these calls um monitor it for a little bit (laughs) and please don't bring it into your house yes that's what we were also saying is people call and then they've already touched it and handled it and brought it into their house it's sitting in their bathtub Mm -hmm. yes Uh, any other crazy calls? You were mentioned one during the break. Yeah, yeah. So I will, I will speak on one other thing we're getting a lot of calls on, too, because it is the seasons. We're also getting a lot of deer fawn calls. And I wanted to go over um, something that fawns do that not a lot of people are aware of that make people think that they are in distress or injured. So fawns are not as mobile as adult deer when they're first born, obviously. So their survival mechanism is to bed down and hide and they will stay that way. And they'll even sprawl out on the ground, they'll look limbs all everywhere, they will look hurt and injured. But that is their survival tactic to basically hide from predators. So when we walk up and see them and they stay down on the ground, they're not hurt. They're hiding from the perceived predator, which is us, because mom will leave them there for long periods of time while she goes out and forages so she can bring back food for the little fawn. So if you guys ever come across fawns, just the same thing, please don't intervene. You can call us, let us know where it is so we can monitor it. But really the best thing for it and all of these animals is just going to be to leave them be and let them, you know, do their thing. Yeah, what they think is a hurt deer is actually a deer that's just trying to hide from you. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) I mean, I've gotten calls for them where they're like, it has four broken legs. And I show up (laughs) and I see a little deer fawn pop out of the, the grass and look at me and then it goes down. Uh-huh. And I show up and it, uh, there it is. It's all, you know, looks like a crime scene because it's flat as a pancake on the ground. And I'm like, oh, good job. Keep hiding. <laughs> that yeah. shows how how much wildlife adapts to mm-hmm. to um, like aren't fawns completely scentless. Yeah. Predators, you know, pretty much. Th- th- I don't know the exact. There's some back and forth on if they are, if they aren't. Um, but for the most part, I think they rely just on their cryptic coat and just not moving and staying so far down to the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're like made to survive in the wild. Right. Regardless, mm-hmm. don't touch it though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. leave it yeah. alone. <laughs> and then um, what, is there any other urban wildlife calls that we might want to um, 
What am I saying? God, I can't talk. I'm distracted. Well, she by hinted at another herbal wildlife call that she just got. I was trying to like gracefully get there, and I couldn't <laughs> think of it, so I just stopped talking. Fair. But Fair. this just goes to show the crazy. You never know what you're going into when you go to work. No, right. <laughs> yeah. This is why I love this job and I love this field. Like you really don't know what you're getting into day in and day out, and it takes a lot of uh, thinking on the fly and problem solving. But I was talking with you guys before. Um, that we actually got a call of a deer that somehow got itself trapped in the core of an abandoned maximum security prison down in Carson City. Um, somehow got through five locked gates to end up in the prison yard and wasn't going to be able to get out on its own. Um, so we went there and responded and couldn't find the deer. And then lo and behold, it was a group of paranormal investigators who had tipped us off to this. So what turned into... Um, Trying to locate and then relocate this poor deer that got stuck in the prison yard turned into a uh, paranormal ghost investigation. <laughs> so uh-huh. you really don't know when I pick up the phone where it's going to lead to. Um, yeah, never saw the deer, so stories out if it was real or not. Yeah. <laughs> so either way, the deer either got out of there, which again shows how they're built to adapt, or it was a yeah. paranormal deer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. She when said was it was pretty spooky. Walking around in there. Oh, it absolutely I bet was. that would creep yeah. me out. Yeah. It's like when you're you're focused on the task at hand, but then when you start realizing what you're actually doing, you're like, okay. <laughs> that would scare me. When was that? Was that just? That was like my first or second day oh at work gosh. here. Welcome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. Yeah. Just that's a good segue for you. What else could Raquel expect in, you were our urban wildlife coordinator for how long? Th- I think about years? three years. Three yeah. years. So you know it inside and out. What could she expect? Oh, gosh. Uh, Lots. Uh, (laughs) So late summer, definitely botulism popping up in random ponds. We're actually going to do a tour de botulism (laughs) around the Reno Sparks area. Look at all those ponds that are pretty notorious for getting it. Um, It's not something that can be removed from the water. It's there, but there are ways you can mitigate outbreaks of it. Um, One of them is if you do notice sick birds, removing them, all that good stuff. So uh, keeping an eye on those ponds that uh, might be affected, definitely really important. Lots of coyote and bobcat calls. um, People worried about pet safety, kid safety, all those sort of things. So just kind of educating people on that. And then uh, we are in Western Nevada uh, and during the fall, hyperphagia with bears, as you know, is going to get a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Uh, (laughs) Lots of education using um, apps like Nextdoor and Facebook to just let people know like, hey, year round, you have to be responsible in bear country, but particularly right now, you really need to heighten your your tactics when it comes to securing your garbage, securing your bird feeders, securing your apiaries and compost and all of that good stuff. And for those of you listening who are listening to Jess um, listing all these things and they're like, wait, 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 I want to know more about this. What was that? What's botulism? What is, uh, what do I need to do to keep bears out of my yard? Head to our website endow.org and we actually have a whole under wildlife discovery. We have a living with wildlife section that go, it breaks down everything all the species all the information you need to know so check that out and we've done a couple podcasts on a couple of those things she's mentioned like the tips and tricks and yeah tactics and things like make that. sure we'll just completely promote ourselves right now yeah. follow us on facebook <laughs> subscribe to our emails and follow our podcast and you'll get all the information you need and check that stuff out before calling raquel and jess and that will help 
alleviate some of those phone calls. <laughs> and even before there's an issue, it's really important to try and prevent any issues from happening before they happen because that's really going to be your best tool at your house and for your neighborhood. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for being here. We're already out of time. Welcome, Raquel. Thank you. And Jess, have, keep, having, keep on, keep on with the wildlife education. <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> that does it for this week's Nevada Wild. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Join us again next week for our next adventure, Nevada Wild. It's a production of the Nevada Department of Wildlife.